When I get a call, email from Jason inviting me to come to be with you all this week, um, I had never been to Hume Lake. And when I came, uh, drove up on Thursday, I came by myself. And at every one of our gatherings to worship, at every one of our meals, I've sat at tables, and I've been encouraged by brothers. God has brought us here and made us a band of brothers. <laughs> and he wants to strengthen us and send us out, to send us back home, but not the same. That there is a great commission we have in our Bible, and he wants us to make disciples of the nations. And there is no plan B. We're it. He sends us without an army, no weapons, no positions and seats of power and authority, no, no presidents and kings. He sends us out. But he sends us out equipped with the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit, strengthened by our brothers to give our lives for the king. When I finished seminary, I, I wanted to go home. I was born and raised in the city. I lived, I was born in the first 10 years of my life. I lived in Newark, New Jersey in the 60s. It was considered at the time the neediest city, I think, in the country. So when I finished seminary at the Master Seminary, I wanted to go back to the city. And so I went and the Lord placed me in a church. It was 15 other adults. We were one city block north of the epicenter of the L.A. riots. And it was 1993. And I'm like, here I am, Lord, use me. <laughs> and I was there for five years and watched the Lord just help us reach folks. And, and then one of my mentors was retiring, and so he passed it in Watson. He said, Bobby, why don't you come here and you don't have to tent make anymore. You can go full time. And so I went over and I was pastoring in Watson for 12 years. And what I wanted to do, brothers, I think that's why you're here. I just wanted to be faithful. I, I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to touch people's lives who maybe didn't have hope. I wanted to encourage people who maybe had given up. I wanted to, I wanted to let the world know that the gospel works everywhere. The preaching of the word of God impacts people everywhere. That I can go right into the heart of South Central and open up this living word that's sharper than any two-edged sword and preach and watch lives change, watch chains broken, and watch people get saved, and watch people live for Jesus. So this weekend, brothers, take the word. Let it sharpen your sword a little bit more. And go home and swing that thing. <laughs> but swing it in love, amen? amen? Don't go cut your wife up, your kids all up. Go back and swing it in love. That's what we've wanted to do. Because that's the essential quality of an effective leader, isn't it? It's love. We've seen that. We've answered the question already. Why? Why do we need to love? Because God loved us. That's how he blessed you. That's how he wants you to bless others, using your gifts and your talents through love. And then we had to ask the question, well, what then is love? And so we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and we nailed down the fact that it really is an action word. You got to do something. Finish the sentence for me. God so loved the world that he? Yeah, he did something. He did something. And he did something great and sacrificial, and God wants you to go back. 
with the gifts that he's given you and the talent that he's given you in the place that he's placed you, and he wants you to do something, to do something for Jesus and do it in love. I have one final question. Maybe it's actually two. I thought I would answer who, but I think it's a who-how question tonight. Like, and I want to answer not with biblical theology, and that's what I've been doing a lot, or just exposition. I, I, want, to, I want us to press into the wisdom of the Word of God and answer the question, who do we love and how? Um, I, I want us to look at that, and I want to talk to all the different groups tonight. I know we have married guys here and single guys here and fathers here and guys who aren't fathers so I want to try to talk to all of us, and I want to be hyper-practical. I've been theological. Let me go to the other extreme. Be hyper-practical tonight. I want to do some do's and don'ts. Some do's about what do you do in terms of loving as a man of God. And I want to talk to our married brothers first. Look with me at the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, here in Ephesians chapter 5, classic verse that we all know, And it says to men in Ephesians chapter 5, it says for us, after it talks to wives, but it it says to husbands in verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy and cleansing her with the washing of the word, a washing of water by the word. He did not he did this to present to the church, or present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. And let me stop there. The answer that to my question is right there in the text, man, and we see it. It's clear. Who do we love? If you're a husband, the text says love your wife and love her the way Christ loves the church. But what I want to do with, with this text, I want to do what we all, we should do with every passage of the Bible that we read. You have to read it in context. So that is, there's no book that you pick up and just flip to a verse or a page in a sentence and read it and close it and think that you have it all understood. That's that's not how we read books. We need the context to understand what the author is intending for us to to know and and to do. And this is no no, no exception. So Paul writes for us to love our wives. Yes, he says that. It's clear that he says that. But we can really misapply and misunderstand this text. And, And we can really misapply and misunderstand this text if we don't read it in the context of the first half of the book. In the first half of the book, Paul says, and I'm looking right at chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. And I'll stop there. So here Paul opens up his book with this this doxology saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, why? Because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. When God blesses us, he pours out graces upon us. When we bless him, it's in response to the way he's blessed us with praise and adoration, as we just sang. 
And here, what Paul is saying, after he acknowledges how God has blessed him so richly, he says, God has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. His heart erupts with praise. This is one long sentence in the Greek text between verse 3 and 14. Paul can't stop blessing God for all the blessings that he has. And whatever we look at and consider we have to do in the second half, of the book of Ephesians is predicated on the fact that we received in the first half of the book amazing blessings, that you have received blessings from God, from heaven, to every sort and kind that you could possibly ever need to do what he's going to call you to do in the second half of the book. It's as if God opens up a spiritual savings account for us to live off of, the rest of our lives, and he fills it with quadrillions of dollars of love and grace and blessings. That you have every single thing that you need. He's predestined us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's sealed us. He's given us an inheritance. Every spiritual blessing that you need, you have in Christ. And then at the end of chapter 1, he says he begins to pray that our eyes will be open to understand the revelation of the Word of God that we have also the very power in us that raised Christ from the dead. So there's simply nothing that we can't do that God has called us to do. So none of us ever have to open up a little checking account with our own earnings and try to do what God has called us to do by our own merits and our own works and our own good deeds and our own character and our own reputation that God calls you to do what he calls you to do out of the overabundance of grace that he's given to you. So when I'm sitting down with a husband and he said, well, I, I passed Bobby, I just can't love her no more. I'm like, well, you might not be able to because <laughs> you, you ain't got that much money in your checking account. But you're not loving her out of the love that you've mustered up out of your own heart. That God has invested in your savings account. Gazillions of dollars of love. So all you need to do is by faith make a transfer. Transfer some of those riches out of your check, out of the savings account, so that you can love your wife. Paul is not calling you husbands just to muster up some discipline and some strength to love your wife. He has given to you. Grace, mercy, his love, his power, so that, he says, in Ephesians 5.1, look there with me, therefore you can imitate him. It's the only place in the New Testament we're called directly to imitate God. And what is it about God that he wants us to imitate? It says, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial, fragrant offering to God. And so has Christ's death done anything for us? Has it taken us out of bondage? Has it freed us from death? Has it taken us out of darkness? What God's love for us has done, it has placed us inside of his love so that we can imitate his love. And so, brothers, so the text in Ephesians chapter 5 isn't saying, it's no quid pro quo there. It's not saying, oh, you can love your wives if she respects you. Oh, you can love your wife 
if she honors you, oh, you can love your wife if she submits to you. That, that's, you you're, 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 you're twisting the text. <laughs> that you're reading it out of context. The text isn't telling you that you do what God has called you to do as a husband by depending upon your wife. It just doesn't say that, brothers. It doesn't. And so I don't care what your wife does or doesn't do. Well, I, I know it gets hard, brother. Let me, I can put on my empathetic hat. I know it gets hard, brothers. I heard all the jokes when I was backstage, and it was funny. It's hard. But is it hard for God to bless a son with his graces so that he can love his wife the way that God himself is loving us? That's how to read Ephesians chapter 5. So the do, brother, is to love your wife and to depend upon God to do that, not to make your wife a substitute for God. If I put her in a place where I absolutely need you to do X, Y, and Z for me to do what God has called me to do, I've made her my God. I've made her an idol, and Paul is emphatically not saying that. He's saying, brothers, that God has given you enough, and I need some amens on that one. All my married brothers, God has given you enough. Listen, you have to believe that. You have to believe that. If you're going to love your wife, you have to believe that. When I, when I proposed to my wife, it was, uh, I knew where I was going. I knew I was going right in the heart of South Central. And I didn't care the size of the church. I went to this little church, and they gave me $700 a month. My rent was more than that. Uh, so that's, that's where we started. So I told my wife that... Uh, uh, honey, I, I may not ever buy you a new car. I may not buy you a house. Our life is going to be hard. And then I added just a couple more wrinkles to it just so she like, just to, I said, honey, and I, I'm going to make you cry more than anybody's ever made you cry before. Got on my knee and said, baby, will you marry me? And she says, I do. So I knew I had gold right then. I'm like, God bless her. I'm like, my, my stock just went up through the roof. And the reason why I was saying that, that I was going to make you cry more, and you can text or call or email and say, did he keep that promise? And she said, yeah, he kept that one. Yes, he kept that promise. Because I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not her savior. She needs Jesus. And I knew I was going to show her how much she needed Jesus. <laughs> Don't, you ain't got to say amen to that because you can, you, you can your wife can say the same thing. But we're sinners, brothers. And God is not intending for any wife to depend upon a husband to serve him or any husband to depend upon his wife to serve him. He, he, he has no substitutes. He, he doesn't want any gods, any lords, any people to stand in his place to be the source of blessing for his sons and daughters. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want me to give credit for what I do to my wife. He wants me to give him all the praise and all the honor and all the glory, for he alone is worthy, and he is simply able to empower you to love your wives, and you simply have to believe that, brothers. I said, when I'm arguing my brothers, well, I can't, I can't. Well, who's your Jesus then? Do we have the same Jesus who hung on the cross, died, was buried for three days, and by his power, he rose from the grave? Amen. If that's the Jesus brother that you have, then you have enough power to love your wife. So let me exhort you and encourage you, brothers, to love your wife. And if she's acting funny and ain't acting right, 
You know what you need to do? Listen, you need to double down on your love then. Love her some more. Don't pull back. It's a brother in my church said when he's having a hard time with his wife, he'll stop and he'll get flowers and he'll do this and that and that, and he'll bring them home. And she'll say, oh, I know he's mad at me then. <laughs> Love your wives well, brothers. You can do that. That's what the Bible is telling us to do, to love our wives. Um, you can do that. Let me, let me throw some don'ts on there. I could say some more do's. Well, let me, let me do another do. Uh, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and let me just make this hyper-controversial. And if you get mad, I'm leaving so you can ask Vince all the questions, all right? <laughs> I have to go in the morning. I'm sorry. I wanted to be here with you, brothers. Uh, so if I open up a can of worms, Vince has got all the answers. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this, and you've got to read this the way that the text says it, brothers, and don't read anything else into it, about intimacy with your wife. This is a do. Make it your focus. Make it your aim. Make it your prayer. Make it your desire to serve her needs. And say, God, make me content with that. It got quiet, but I know you heard me. So that's what the text is saying. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibilities. I'm in verse 3. 1 Corinthians 7, 3, a husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. It is not the wife who has rights to her own body, but the husband. And in the same way, it is not the husband who has the right to his own body, but the wife. The first thing it says, it says husbands should get his wife to fulfill all of his sexual desires and fantasies. It doesn't say that. I mean, that'd be nice, but it doesn't say that. I like, I wish it read that way, but it don't read that way. It says that your focus is to meet her needs and learn how to be satisfied in that. That there's no quid pro quo here either. I think we looked at enough definitions of love that love is sacrificial and not self-centered. If it's about me and if it's self-centered, it's just not love anymore, brothers. It's lust. And those don't say this, don't, you don't, don't even sound the same. You don't even spell them the same because they're not the same. Lust and love are not the same things. Love gives. It's sacrificial. So when I go home this week, you know, I'm going to go home like in the morning. I'm going to get home, and I've been by myself like for three, four days, and I'm a, I might want to be intimate with my wife. And she said, I'm really tired tonight. And I'm like, then I, then I got to say, well, good, baby. We, well, I'm going to tuck you in and give, soften up your pillow and, and let her sleep. If she needs sleep, I got to let her sleep. I got to get one amen on that. <laughs> All right? So that's, that's loving our wives, brother. If, and, and, I'm, and it's not a quid pro quo. I, my king told me what to do. My king said, love your wife. And it says here, meet her needs. So if her needs are met, then, her, then I, my job is done. Now she has a job, but that's her job. <laughs> but you do your job. And in the Song of Solomon, it's, just, it's one of the episodes where Solomon comes to his, his wife, and she's in bed and doesn't want to get out of bed. And so he makes his appeal, and she says, I'm in bed. And so he leaves. And then she goes to the door. And when she grabs the knob, as it were, there was perfume like on the doorknob. You know what that is? It's like he left a love letter. He didn't get mad. He didn't get all, okay, well, you need to meet my needs, and I ain't going. No, he, she just left a love letter. Why? Because that's the do. What husbands have to do is love our wives, and what we have to do is to meet their needs. And then in 1 Peter 3, 7, let me give you one more do. It says, husbands in the same way, 1 Peter 3, 7. 
Husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as the weaker partners and show them honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life. In this way, nothing will hinder your prayers. You want to honor them. They're weaker, but you're going to choose to respect and honor them and treat them as fellow heirs of the grace of life. That all the grace that made you a son of God, they get the same grace. And so before God, we treat them as our co-heirs. We treat them as our equals. They've been made in the image and likeness of God just like we have. So there's no sarcastic women jokes and there's no sarcastic jokes about my wife is this and that. We honor them. There's grace I need as a man. There's grace she needs as a woman. And you want to treat her and honor her as someone made in the image and likeness of God. If your wife is a Christian, you get the privilege every day of serving a daughter of the king. How about that? Every day of serving a daughter of the king. God has blessed you to serve one of his daughters, one of his princesses. And we treat them with honor. Those are the do's. There are some don'ts. And let me explain a text in the Bible that's maybe not be openly transparent. In, in Genesis chapter 3, this is a don't. In Genesis 3.16, right after the fall, um, God gives consequences to all the participants in the fall, and they're fitting. All the consequences are fitting in light of the sin. So what Eve does in Genesis chapter 3 is she takes the creation order and begins to flip it upside down, and Adam allows it. So whereas there was God, and he's the king of all kings, he made Adam and Eve underneath him rulers, but Adam was the king and she was the queen. God made Adam first. So it was God, there was Adam, there was Eve, and then there were the animals that they were to rule and subdue over. But what happens in the fall, that completely gets inverted. They're listening to the animal, the serpent. Adam is following and listening to Eve. She's usurped his leadership role. And then Adam is on the, not on the bottom, but they put God underneath them. They took what God called very good and made it a monstrosity. And here, because Eve grabbed hold of the headship, and by the way, it didn't work, not because she's inferior intellectually, anything like that. When God has a design and you decide to do it your way, it just won't work. If she steps outside the plan and will of God and finding Satan outside the will and plan of God, she is no match for Satan. And guess what? You aren't either if you step outside of the plan and will of God. And so creation, as God designed it beautifully, it's flipped upside down on his head. And as a consequence, she's going to struggle now. It says that in Genesis 3.16, that she's going to have what was a blessing in these various relationships she had as a mother. That's going to be a struggle. Bearing children is going to be painful. But also, it says, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Instead of the relationship being harmonious and the two being one and this beautiful companionship, this covenant commitment of companionship for a lifetime, instead of them fitting like loves, like one, it's going to clash like this now. That she, having tasted the sin of stepping out of her God-designed role and wanting to lead, she now is going to struggle with wanting to control the relationship. That's what the word means. It's used differently in other contexts, but in this immediate context, and, and, and in fact, the parallel to it is Genesis 4, 7, when God warns Cain and tells Cain, if you do what is right, Genesis 4, 7, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and its desire 
Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The exact same words and the exact same context. And the word desire means sin wants to control you, but you must master it and domineer over it. And so now that's what the marriage relationship will look like. A wife wanting to control her husband. And the husband now in response being tempted to be domineering over her. So my don't is don't be domineering over your wife. Don't respond with a domineering type of leadership. That God will give you grace to deal with her and love. And we saw that. And then I would add, look with me at Ephesians chapter 5 back there again. When God gives the roles for a husband and a wife, he gives them to the husband. And then he gives them his role. And then he gives the wife her role. And this is not obviously clear either in the English, but it's, 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 it's how you have to read and understand verse 22. When it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. God made husbands the head of the marriage relationship, and the wife, therefore, is called by God to submit to rank up under his authority doesn't mean that he's better or anything like that. There's a guy who goes into a library and he asks a librarian, he says, well, where's, where's the section in the book of, of men's superiority over women? And while they've been looking up, she says, go down the center aisle and make a left, and at the end of the aisle, make another left, and you'll be in the fiction section. <laughs> that the text says, it doesn't say, husbands, submit your wives to yourself. It simply doesn't say that, men. It says, husbands, love your wives. And two-thirds of this chapter is talking about the responsibility of the section. It's talking about the husband's duty to the wife. Here, this is the wife's duty to the husband. And the text is, the, the emphasis of the verb is, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. As a believer, her duty of worship to the Lord, to the Lord, is to submit herself underneath the Lord by submitting to the husband and her worship and submission to the Lord now is seen by her submission to her husband. It's what she does. That's what the wife does. And if you don't love her perfectly as Christ perfectly loved the church, she won't perfectly submit to the Lordship of Christ by submitting to you. It's something that God sanctifies her to grow in and you can help by loving and washing but you don't help by trying to usurp her responsibility and force her to submit to you. Because the Bible doesn't say that, brothers. No, you're going to submit to me because I'm the man in this house. If you're the man in the house, that explains all the problems. Because the Lord is supposed to be the head of your house, not you. And so, brothers, the text is clearer than we think. It's not your job to force your wife to submit to you. Now, like I said, Vince is going to clean all this up. Uh, it's just pray for her, serve her, encourage her to, to submit um, by being an example of what God has called you to do. You show her the grace of God transforms you to be sacrificial, and she can see man, the grace of God might transform me to be submissive. Um, and then lastly, uh, Colossians 3.19, one more don't. Don't lead by domineering. Don't try to force your wife to submit to you. Just love her sacrificially like Christ loves the church. And third, in Colossians 3.19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Hmm. And that's big. 
that we all have expectations. We all have desires. And when not met, uh, our hearts can really turn towards making that expectation, that desire, an idol. And when we don't get them, James tells us, and I want you to look there, we get angry. So James chapter 4, it tells, it tells you, it tells me uh, what the source of fighting and wars, where it comes from. In your marriage too, you can apply it there. In James chapter 4, verse 1 uh, and 2 says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. And so when we don't get what we want, we, turn, we can turn around and start a war in our marriage. Uh, picture this for me, that you finally get a day off and you're driving home, you're all excited because you and your wife just been running crazy busy and not connecting. And so, you know, you call her excited, honey, uh, the boss gave me the day off, I'm coming home early. And and so she's all excited. She's oh, I can't wait for you to get home. And, and so you're driving home. You're picturing how nice this is going to be. The kids are all at school. You got a date for yourselves. You know, you just, the, the bath is going to be bubbling. And, you know, she's going to wear something really nice. You have a great time of intimacy together because you haven't been really connecting. And you walk into the door, and uh, she's got the paintbrush out and all this stuff like and you're like, and you're like hey, what's up with the paintbrush and all this stuff? Well, honey, you've been promising me that you're going to paint and clean up the kitchen. But, honey, we haven't been connecting, and, and this is a good time for us to connect. But you never help me around the house, and you never get intimate, and you never, and, da, 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 da. and World War IV started. Skip past World War III. went straight to World War IV. Why? Because you're lusting and you don't have your desire. It's fine to want to be with your wife, but what happens in our hearts, brothers? When those desires aren't met, James 4 kicks in. We won't let go of that desire, and our hearts become embittered, and we start waging against a daughter of the king that we've been called to serve. And that is not right. It's just not right, brothers. And our hearts can get embittered. I, my, my co-pastor and I all the time, they're like, like, so how's it going at home? Yeah, I'm not in a good place with my wife. <laughs> and we go back and forth and we try to help each other to see what desire it is that I'm clinging on to that I need to let go of. How about this be my desire? That God be glorified by me faithfully loving my wife the way Christ loves the church and sacrificially giving to her. So brothers, the don'ts are don't be domineering. Don't try to force your wife into submission and guard your heart don't be embittered against your wife. And I know under the sound of my voice, I got enough brothers here that somebody is embittered against their wife. Somebody's trying to lead by domineering. And Jesus said, we don't lead like that. That's how the world leads, to this domineering. It's, he just says, be a servant. He came to serve. He's the king of the universe, and he came to serve. And so you need to figure that one out. So maybe God brought you here to try to figure that one out. Like, there's some clear do's, love your wives, and some clear don'ts. And so God, I think, and, and, and he will enable us to be what he's called us to do. But he's not signing off on what you want. Like, so that's when I told my wife, I just said, honey, you know, we're two sinners, and it's going to be a bumpy road. And that's how marriage works. 
but God, by his grace, can keep using the challenges in your marriage to make you more like Christ. And that means you won't be domineering, you won't be forcing submission, you won't be embittered. Instead, you're going to love, instead you're going to be sacrificial, instead you're going to be understanding and treat her like a co-heir of Christ. All right. Um, let me talk to my single brothers for a minute. I didn't forget about y'all single brother. Let me just see. How many of you all are single? Let me see your hands. How many people are talking? Okay, good. All right, good. Some of us single not by choice. Our wives are going to be with the Lord. Some of us are single because of a divorce. Some of us are single because uh, we haven't found uh, uh, our dream girl yet. And uh, she's out there. Just keep praying, brothers. Um, but let me say a word to my single brothers. Um, and let me say first, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Again, keep your finger in the text there. Some do's and then some don'ts. Some do's is this. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25b, uh, it's, it, it switches back and forth between Christ and the husband. And here it speaks of Christ. And what the text says of Christ, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So my exhortation to singles is love the church. Love the church. Um, give your life to serving the church. I look back to my single days, and they were just great. Um, and I want to encourage all my young singles, listen to me. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I want young single men to really passionately love the Christ. And I don't want you to waste your life. I don't want you to waste your life on some phone in some digital space that's not real flipping through it, or some digital space conquering numbers in a game and, and, and having that give you a false sense of accomplishment that I, I got a higher score than, than this guy on, on, on some screen and some computer, that there's a digital world and it's fake. And there's a real world where Jesus has empowered you with his word, the gospel, and you can go into that world and you can be faithful in that world and see sinners' lives radically changed by you preaching the word, you're praying, and spending time in discipling. Can I convince you to live your life that way? You know, when I was in my early 20s, there was a guy named Rocky. We're at UCLA. He started a Bible study with three people. It grew to seven. When I got involved, it was like maybe 20-something of us. And we were just all in, going to reach UCLA for the Lord. My GPA dropped out of A minus and went down to a C. <laughs> uh, I spent like, uh, gosh, I'm sure I pulled an all-nighter maybe two times a week. None of this is wisdom, by the way. I just wasn't sleeping three nights a week. You know why? Because we were just evangelizing and discipling and evangelizing and discipling all over the campus. And that little Bible study with no staff folks, uh, there was another Bible study on campus, Campus Crusade. They had eight full-time staff members. Our Bible study just blew up. And 35 years later, it is the largest student group at UCLA. One of my professors says, somebody should write a story about that UCLA season when God just used these 20-somethings who didn't know any better other than believe that if we're faithful with the gospel and the Great Commission, God would radically use us. And so there are pastors and missionaries all over the globe from that little UCLA Bible study. Can I tell you, young guys, Jesus laid down his life for you so that you can lay down your life for him and be consumed as a sacrifice and say, God, here I am, use me. 
I would just flee with you to love the church. And here's why. I just look at Matthew chapter 25, and I'll just quote it. Matthew 25, and the sheep goat judgment, and Jesus was saying that when you, he's saying, when you did all these things for me, you visited me, you clothed me, you visited me in prison and did, did all the stuff that, that's why I'm rewarding you and blessing you. And they said, when did we do all that? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these brothers of mine. Not talking about just the Good Samaritan, now people in the world. It's talking about what you do for the church that will last. How you serve the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will last. And I would say, use your singleness for that, for that end and that purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'll give you the verses. I'm not going to read them. 32 to 35, Paul is like, being single has advantages. Your, your focus is not distracted. You can have undistracted devotion to the Lord because you're not thinking about how to please a, a wife. When I was, I was in my 20s and uh, a, a local pastor had some significant health issues, so he asked me about pastor the church for a, a summer, and he went on a sabbatical. And so I'm there, and I'm meeting people, and I'm studying, and I'm, you know, so the week is, I'm at the end of the week. My sermon was done, and, you know, I met all the folks. It's like Saturday evening, and I'm like, so what do I do? And I ain't got no wife and kids to go home to, so you know what I said? I'll pray and study some more. How, how glorious is that? I can just stay in the presence of God and study some more and learn the Word of God more. In your 20s, while your memory still works, <laughs> hide the Word of God in your heart. I, I, I literally wanted to memorize like every chapter in the entire book of the Bible. I didn't get there, but, 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 but I thought, I was young enough to try, so I was memorizing chapters of the Bible and not verses. Young people, don't waste the season of your life. Don't do it. You're not distracted with a spouse and meeting the needs for a spouse. And so what Paul is telling you to do with this season is learn now how to independently depend upon the Lord. Because when you get married... You have to know how to independently <laughs> depend upon the Lord. If you're leaning on your wife, she's not strong enough to hold you up. You've got to learn how to lean into Christ, and singleness is the season to learn that. Give your lives over to Christ by loving his bride now. When you love the church, you are loving him. That's what Paul says. When did I persecute you, Lord? I saw that. He says, when you persecute Christians, you persecute him. When you love his people, you love him. If you want to love Jesus, and that's what we're, that's what we got to do. That's the great commandment. You love him by loving his body, loving his bride. And when you're single, what a time to do that. And then I would say, here's another do. When you love the body, love it as a family. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Timothy is single. And what Paul tells Timothy to do in his singleness, he says, don't rebuke an older man. But exhort him as a father. Treat the older men in the church like fathers, the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. I've got two sisters, and I know what that means. Then you have to develop platonic relationships, brother-sister relationships. And some of you all come out of the world, like you Mac Daddy, you get your lines and all this kind of stuff. Leave that in the world. When you come into church, learn how to be a brother. Learn how to serve the sisters in your church. Develop platonic relationships. Let the church be a place where there's purity. That's what the text says, where there's purity. That's a big do. You're not ready to pursue any young lady. Listen to me, young guys. You're not ready to pursue any young lady until you first learn how to be a brother to your sisters. 
So you got, because you got to take self-control, learn how to, learn how to like deal with yourself first, and just love your sisters as brothers. That's a big, big do. And I could pivot and say, okay, well, how do you cross a brother-sister line? Well, you have to know you're crossing a brother-sister line. So, and, and, you, and there's one woman that God has given to you to love for the rest of your life. So don't try to cross it with everybody, first of all. Learn how to be a one-woman kind of man. That's the godly standard for elders in 1 Timothy 3. To be a, and you can have that reputation as a single guy. Or you can have the reputation in church. Like the, and, the, and by the way, your sisters know when you're just going through the church directory calling somebody out every week. At some point, they realize that. He called you. He called me last week. Well, he called me the week before that. He called me the week before that. Can you not? Don't do that. The church directory is for you to pray. You can pray through the church directory. But don't be using it to try to set up dates to, romant, to romanticize all the relationships. Just be a brother to your sisters. Did I, is that a don't or a do? Anyway, so I think I crossed into my don'ts. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but, but while you're single, yeah, just love the church. Just love the church. Uh, what Paul does, and I got to, what Paul does, and I love this, he's single. Paul is uh, a single brother. And what he did is he got a band of other single brothers. You know what they did? Turn the world upside down. That's all they did. Just turn the world upside down. They had time and energy, and they got after it. <laughs> They got after it. And so if Paul was married, that just wouldn't have been the same. His wife would have been calling like, yeah, I got stone baby pretty bad this week. Well, you better get yourself back home then. This whole mission thing ain't working for me. You need to come home. So Paul reached one little city and that would have been it. But Paul, he, he didn't have a wife to worry about him. There's nobody worrying about y'all single brothers. I mean, I love you all, but I, ain't nobody else worrying about y'all. Y'all can get after it. Just stay on mission. Paul had these single brothers, and they turned the world upside down. What are you doing with your singleness? It's a gift. It's not a disease to get rid of. It, it, God will give you a wife in due time if you're praying and you're pursuing it the right way. But, but, but with your singleness, don't waste that. Don't waste that. Um, and, uh, yeah, let me just say one more thing. Uh, uh, here's a don't. Uh, Colossians 1.28 don't be idle. Um, gosh, an idle mind really is a dangerous thing. Letting our eyes look at just all kinds of crazy stuff sitting on these computers and these phones. Uh, just be too tired for all that. Just work too hard. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, he's a single guy. We proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Toward this goal, I also labor, struggling according to his power that powerfully works in me. It's agonism. He's agonizing. He's working so hard with all the power that Christ has invested in us believers, and he's working hard to proclaim Christ. And so that's idleness and hours and hours and hours. On, now, you can play video games. I'm not saying you can't play video games. I'm not saying you can't look at sports. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not you mishearing me if you hear me saying that. But, but if someone were to look at your life, would they say that, yeah, you love Christ, that you live your life serving him? Would the people in the church say that about you single brothers? Would they say, yeah, this guy, he just, you, you have all kinds of times. You can, you know, you can fix things around the widow's houses in the church, and there's things you can do that's hard. I got one of my elders is single, but God's gift in this. 
And it's a blessing because he can go do stuff like late at night. I wish all emergencies happened between 8 and 5 o'clock for a pastor, but that's just not how it works. They're having a crazy time in crazy places. And as a single elder, he can fulfill a lot of those responsibilities for us because he's agonizomai with the power that's in him to be a blessing uh, to his brothers and sisters. Um, I'm going to stop. Yeah. I got too many pages in here. Let, let, me, let me say one more thing, and then I'll stop. Say, <laughs> <laughs> my church, man, I just, it's like, we just preach. But let me, let me say one last thing. You know what makes this so hard and what makes it so important is because of what Adam did. So Satan came and tempted Adam, and he didn't listen to God. What I just told you, the husbands love your wives. God is saying that, and you can listen to God, and there's an enemy who doesn't want you to listen to God. And just like in Genesis 3, Adam wasn't wrestling just against flesh and blood. You're not wrestling just against strength and blood. So Ephesians 6.10 says, this is why this is all so hard. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. And that's all in chapters 1 through 3, spiritual things. Put on the full arm of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in heavenly places. Brothers, that's what we're fighting against. And what Satan does to win is he tempts you not to listen and do what God calls and tells you to do. So if you don't love your wives, single men, if you don't live sacrificially for Christ, then he wins. But Christ has empowered us And I know the end of the story. Like I said, he wins, and we win with them when we walk by faith and appropriate these graces in Ephesians 1 through 3 by grace. That, brothers, we don't have to live like Adam. We can live like Christ, and the way Christ lives, he leads by loving. And he tells us that we can imitate him by the graces that he's given to us. Brothers, go home. Get out of here. Saturday when you're all done, get out of it, go home. But go with a focus. Go with a mission that I'm going to be different in my home. My children say, what, what did they feed you up at that mountain? Jesus. <laughs> so go back and love your wives and love your children and, and love your church. Be consumed by a passion of fire and a aroma that's pleasing to Christ. Because he did that for you. God bless you, brothers.